The Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 55. Halloween 2020. Hello boys and girls, and a very warm welcome to another edition of the Externos Experiment, our Halloween special this year. <laughs> Tonight we are going to be watching Century Falls. What's this one about? Century Falls is a six-part um, kids' TV supernatural drama written by Russell T. Davis and transmitted in 1993. Although there's no connection in terms of plot, it's seen as a follow-on from Dark, Dark Season. Season that he did the year before. Yeah. I prefer this to Dark Season. Really? I mean, Dark Season. Don't get me wrong. Dark Season's very good. It's two three-part stories. As I yeah, recall. Uh, it's but it's two stories linked only by the central characters. Mm. Um, this is a full six-part story. I've always enjoyed Century Falls. I think it's excellent. It's a good few years since I've seen it. It's quite spooky. It's got a number of people from the Russell T. Davis stable. Mary Wimbush, who turns up in a couple of the other... Um, well, she's in K9 and company. Bernard Kay, Eileen Way, Robert James. So basically, they're all Who alumni. There are quite a number of Who alumni in there. So I'm not going to say too much about the plot, because I don't want to... Spoil it for me. Spoil that for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we'll spoil it for the listeners. For everybody, let's des- go. Describe the entire plot. But you know what? If you don't want to know what goes on, stop listening at this point. But have a gin with us first. Time to get out the tonic screwdriver. What are we drinking tonight? Tonight, we are going to drink Asta's own triple distilled premium gin, which it says is a coming together of seven aromatic botanicals to create pure elegance. And it's got coriander, oris, angelica, juniper, lemon peel, licorice root, and orange peel. So there's nothing particularly exciting in terms of botanicals. No weird and wonderful flavours. That is excellent. Just a really, really nice, smooth, blended gin. That is bloody marvellous. For a basic gin, this is really... It's smoothly blended. It's not got much of a... not got much of a nose to it. <laughs> um, it doesn't really have that much, that much to, to smell. Um, it's really, really smooth on the palate. Now, I have never had this one. and I'm, Haven't you? I'm stunned. You mentioned I've, licorice in there. Now, I don't like licorice or aniseed or anything like that. But licor- I, licorice is a... A base of most gins, and you, you generally can't taste it. There's a bit of an after tingle, which is nice. There's no real after taste. Really nice and smooth, but there's no doubt about it that it's a gin. It tastes like gin. Mm. This is this is lovely. This is a clear four from me. Oh, definitely, definitely yeah. four out of five Bernards. It's what I would. I have mentioned this before with other gins. It's got that sort of sherbety. So what I'm calling an after tingle. Yes, I'd recommend that. That's that's lovely. It's a hard-working gin, that. It's really nice. It's good value. I mean, I, I rank this alongside Bombay Sapphire. and I put that above, to be honest. That's rather nice. Um, I, I put it above basic Gordons, um, although Gordons are spilling out into flavoured gins. They are, gins and now. doing it very well. Yes, because um, we've done the, the lemon, the orange, and the peach. Have we done the blood orange? We've done a... We've done a Mediterranean orange. I thought they'd done a blood orange. And they do an elderflower as well, which I, I, I only noticed in the shops the other day. Yeah, well, I love elderflower. Well, we must try those. But Moving yeah. on. Uh, grab your glass. Let's go into the Black Archive. 
What are you rescuing from the annals of lost film and television this week? Well, I'm actually going to rescue something that we've talked about before, but I found out a little bit more about it since we since we last spoke, and, and one specific fact in particular. And I'm going to rescue a seven-part kids' TV programme, science fiction, from 1963 called Emerald Soup. We have spoken about it. We have spoken yes. about it before. And I think I know what fact you're about yeah, to reveal yeah, yeah. to the listeners. I, yes, yes, yes. Um, it's the story of goings-on at a nuclear research facility which uh, a group of local children get involved with after finding something weird in one of their sheds. I mean, I, I can't find out a huge amount about the plot. The little factoid that I have discovered is that episode three was transmitted on the 23rd of November 1963 on ITV opposite something there is something. notable it's something notable on BBC hmm. one of those programs is it, is it still running mm, it's been off and on on oh, no, off and on yeah that was that was worth a revisit because ah, and committing to yeah. to tape that one yeah uh, it was a yeah just so, one so of those that's nice a little, nice little factoid I know this is a, a re-rescue but you, you can't rescue something enough if it's lost well, it, you've, we, you've just found another copy, that's all. We rescued it and then the BBC lost it again because they're good at that. Got out of that. Well, I am not rescuing something lost today. Uh, if you if you don't mind, we'll go next door into the Imaginarium. You might want to be careful. I think Spaff's been in there setting little booby traps. So, Spaff, what have you done in the Imaginarium and have you cleaned it up? I do not believe so. You may well hang your head. Welcome to the Imaginarium, boys and girls. This is the repository of everything that doesn't exist, but we would quite like to. And today I'm going to pluck something out. There's a lot of it doing the rounds uh, on the internet at the moment, and that is colourised black and white Doctor Who. And they're getting quite good at it. We've already had Rich Tipple on one of our earlier podcasts. Him and three of his colleagues have manually recolorized Dalek's Master Plan Episode 2. Everything's gone very quiet on that front, although I do know that they were uh, going to have a meeting with the BBC, so we can only cross our fingers. But I would like to pull out of the Imaginarium the full set of black and white Doctor Who, all recolored, because I think it would look fantastic. I would buy it in a heartbeat. Yeah. I know there are purists out there that do get terribly offended by such things, but it does give it a depth and bring it to life in a way Way that black and white just doesn't. Yeah, and if it's done as well as the Master Plan episode two was done, that would be fantastic. I mean, possibly it's the sort of thing where they'd take one of the two parters and do that so you've got a whole story with as few episodes as possible. So the, the rescue would be a nice one to do. Yeah, but it's not a very good story. Oh, I like the rescue. If we're going for two parters, would you prefer Edge of Destruction? The 60s two parters, I'm not a great fan of either of them, to be honest. The Rescue is a, a fun little story. I mean, it, it doesn't have much of a plot, but it's got half the number of episodes of, I don't know, The Romans or The Time Meddler or. Mm. I don't know, what would I pick first? Um, I'd probably start at the beginning, An Unearthly Child. As a single episode? An Unearthly Child and The Tribe of Gum. May as well have a, the because first four episodes. Start at the beginning. Oh, now you see, if we're, if we're going for a four episode, I would say you either want something really spectacular looking, and for that I'd go for the Aztecs. Oh, yes, that would probably work very well. Yeah. 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 Um, you see uh, colour production photos from that, it looks mm. phenomenal. In terms of science fiction, what would I go for? Two, if we're going for a four-parter. Yes. Two more than War Machines. Actually, can you imagine that the Inferno se- sequence in colour? That would be fantastic. Yeah. 
Yeah, War Machines would probably pip it. I think if we're going for a, a science fiction one. Or Tomb. See, the problem with Tomb is, if you recolorize Tomb, you're still really only getting shades of grey. Whereas with the War Machines, there's a lot, a lot of colour would come out in that. Um, would you just be getting shades? shades of grey because you've got the, there's all that flashy light control panel stuff that would be in colour yeah a, a lot of the sets would be sort of silverized walls but you've got all the psychedelic stuff in the testing room yeah and if there's a chunk of grey scenery you might make it a little bit easier to do I, I mean, not I, knowing the process I, I don't not know. knowing the process I don't know whether silverizing is a more difficult thing or an easier thing I think my first choice yeah would be the Aztecs Possibly the Romans, but no, I think I'd go with the Aztecs. And if we, if we needed a sci-fi, oh, the Ark could be fun. Monoids in colour. I have actually somebody has actually done a coloured, colourised clip of uh, the Monoids, and mm. uh, I mean, all right, the black with a sort of mop top shop. And... When they, when they green, I, I thought they were dark green. That does ring a bell somewhere. Actually, or green. Green. The colour for monsters is green. Time metal would look great, wouldn't it? All that Northumbria, Northumbria yeah, scenery. True, yeah. and, and they did a, a real good job with that as well, particularly the skies, I remember. Mm. So, yeah, recolorise Doctor Who from the 1960s, please. Yes, that would be marvellous, and we may actually get to see. So, here we are back in the viewing room. So, this is a six half hour episode from 93. Three ninety-four. I'm surprised this one's passed me by actually because I remember Dark Season. I haven't seen since it was transmitted, but I can picture it clear as day now in my mind's eye. It was brilliant. So if you're saying that this is, uh... I prefer this. I think it's more consistent. Um, Dark Season. I think. I think you remember the Jacqueline Pierce story because yes. because she was so good in it. The other story is fairly forgettable. To be honest, yeah, it was something about laptops or computers, yeah. wasn't it? Ninety-two. I don't think they had laptops, did they? I can't remember what it was about. Anyway, anyway, we're not talking about Dark Season. We're talking about Century Falls. So, without further ado, Episode One from Do We Know? Nineteen ninety-three. No transmission date. Usually, no, of, course of course not. Of course not. That involves research. Anyway, to hell with this. Raise a gin glass, Ron VT. Okay, so that was episode one of Century Falls. Um, the title refers to a small village that th- two families, including three children, have just moved to. Tess Hunter and her mother have just bought a little cottage there. And it turns out that Tess's mother is pregnant. And brother and sister Ben and Carrie Naismith have moved to live with their uncle, the father's there for a while, but he leaves very quickly and is quite angry, particularly with Ben blaming him for the breakup of his marriage and saying that his wife was was afraid of their son. Ben turns out to have some supernatural abilities. He's able to compel his father to do particular things, and this compulsion can be broken by Carey. Between the three children, they meet various people in the village, all of whom are quite elderly. And there's a lot of talk about the most defining moment in the village being a day in July 1956. 53. It's 40 years ago. They're banging on about it being 40 years ago. There's no church in the village, but there is a ruined temple which was destroyed by fire on this day in 1953. 
the, uh, the three kids go and look at this temple and Ben is able to conjure a an image of what happened on the day that it burnt down. And they see a lot of people running around in, in panic. And one woman in particular, whose identity will become important later on. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that, I suppose he'd be the squire, wouldn't he? Effectively, yes. yes effectively. Knows exactly who the, um, the hunters are and knows that Mrs. Hunter is pregnant and has copies of her ultrasound scan. The kids are shown a waterfall called Century Falls, which is the reason the village has its name and is apparently the heart of the village. Um, that, that's episode one. It is basically, it was very, very much a setup episode. It um, is. A real feel of Children of the Stones about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. Yes, there is. It's quite a small cast, but there are, it's just a um, film to the brim with Who alumni. I'm just wondering whether that's coincidence or whether Russell T. Davis had a little bit of a... I suspect it wasn't coincidence. Mm. Bernard Kay from The Crusade, Eileen Way from Unearthly Child and... Which bit? Dalek's Invasion of Earth 2150. Mary Wimbush, who was in... Canine and Company, Sarah Jane's aunt. The other woman, who's Esme, whose name I can't remember, but she was in Gridlock as one of the old lesbians in the car. But not yet. But not yet, no. I think she was a future future alumnus. None of the kids, I have looked on IMDb, none of the kids went on to do anything beyond the end of the 90s. And actually, the character of Ben is really quite unpleasant. Mm. Uh, There's a whole sequence where he he just rips the piss out of Tess for being overweight. From from nowhere, she just just decides to start on her. Yeah, you're fat, you've got fat arms, you've got fat legs. And then she belts him on and says, I've got a fat fist as well, so good on her. Uh, Yes. It's one of those, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. Some of the acting and the delivery is a little stilted. None of the three kids are particularly good. The brother and sister were obviously booked because they look quite similar and are quite pretty. Hmm. Um, but they're very, very wooden. And even some of the, they can only work with the material they're given and the direction they're given. But hmm. uh, even Bernard well, Kay's character, the squire, he's... When he goes to introduce himself to the hunters, it's all very arch, and the, the slightest thing is delivered with a mwahaha. But it's it's children's TV. You need yeah. you need to telegraph these things. Mm. The only other young person that's in the village is a housemaid in uh, the Naismith. Oh yes, who. The, the kids get locked out for the night and she lets them back in and, and says, don't let, let people know that it was me. So they're, they're, she appears to be kind of on their side and a, a bit of a sympathetic character. Well, there's got to be at least one person in the village that isn't distilled evil. There will be more of that character later. Well, uh, given that the, the entire cast is about six people so far, I suspect that, yeah, she's going to be given more to do later on. Yeah. So, so shall we have episode two? May as well. Ben. Little sister. Let's find your friend. We don't have to. This is a good audience. We've shown the Century Falls by day. Now let's show the night. Okay, episode two. For all it seems quite slow, an awful lot happened in that episode. Mm. The three kids explore more of Century Falls, and Ben seems to know quite a bit about it, which is slightly odd because, as far as we understand, he's not been there uh, long. any longer than, than Tess has. The three of them go to see uh, what looks like a, a 
parish church meeting of a, a dozen or so old people sitting around in a in a meeting hall, and they're talking about what if Tess's mum is pregnant and what does that mean to the the village. And then they they all get up and they link hands and they they do a kind of ritual, I guess, that mm. um, means that they can investigate things from a distance. They and they find out that she is in fact pregnant. And then they try to track down the squire as well. The squire is got he's got a, but, a butler with him as well, who's one of the very few other young people that we've seen in this. And we also find out that the butler and the maid are recent arrivals to the village within the last month or so. The villagers aren't able to to locate the squire. There's something blocking them, and they 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 get the, this image of a a glowing golden disc. The Harkness's sister's mother constantly draws a, a, a stylized face with sort of wavy hair. And Ben, when he realizes that the villagers are trying to track down his his uncle, the squire Naismith, he goes out of his way to block them, and they're not able to do it. The meeting breaks up. Tess goes back home to find uh, Miss Harkness warning her mother that since the disaster 40 years previously, no child has been born in Century Falls. There's only been stillbirths. And for her sake, to, to get out of the village. And Mrs Hunter's not particularly happy about that. Kicks the old lady out of her house. And then Ben and Carrie go to the waterfall and Ben starts concentrating and fire starts growing in the waterfall. In the middle of the fire, you see a mask the stylized thing that the elder Mrs. Harkness has been drawing over and over again. And it's also the glowing thing that was protecting Mr. Naismith. And he and the butler open up a display cabinet and you see a a golden mask. The final shot is that in the fire on the the lake underneath the, uh, the waterfall, there is a golden female figure wearing that mask. And Ben says that she is the entirety of the history of Century Falls and that she's returning. And that's the end of the episode. We've picked up the pace a little bit. Well, as I say that, the episode one was... Um, the pace feels slow. It's just a lot happening. It does a lot. Um, that's an unfair thing to say, actually. So, it, as you say, a, a lot does look... Um, Mary Wimbush's character, Esme, um, when she goes to the house to warn Mrs Hunter to get out of Century Falls... That's the first bit of warmth we've seen out of her so far. Hmm. It, there was there seemed to be a genuine concern there, rather than the nasty old bag she's been so far. Ben is a oh, he's an unpleasant a little nasty salt. little turd. Um, so why he sp- he spends the entire time insulting insulting poor Tess about her size, and yet she still for some reason makes about with them. I suppose um, the, I know they're the only other children in Not Central really any Falls. other option, seeing as the, the next youngest person in the village, apart from the servants up at the manor house, is her mother. Uh, that the story carried the acting along, thankfully, in this yeah. episode, a little bit better than part one. Well, they, the adults all act pretty well. Mm. The, the kids are... Tess, Tess has a little bit of a spark, mm. spark about her, but it, she looks good in comparison to the other two, who are very, very wooden. This really reminds me of the sort of classic children's serials from the 1970s so things like Children of the Stones mm. um, Escape into Night Raven, Changes, all of that kind of thing where you've got uh, a supernatural type plot told through the the eye of an adolescent or series of adolescent protagonists. Mm. Are yeah, you enjoying it? I am enjoying it, yes. It, um, in many ways it doesn't feel like were it not for the fact that the kids are front and centre, this could happily be slightly retooled as a uh, sort of an adult supernatural drama. It's not a million miles away. I can't remember who it was who, who said it in the past, but 
the best things written for children are actually treating them as if they have got a bit of common sense mm. and intelligence. Uh, treat the viewer with a bit of intelligence and, and they'll get more out of it. This has been well, it's even early days, but it's Russell T. Davis and it's very good stuff. Yes. So we'll crack on with episode three. Mm. Oh, you're fortunate. Mother doesn't often take to other people, especially outsiders. I saw you last night. The gathering. It was nothing. It's just village business, that's all. Tess has come for the truth, May, not your flannel. I've seen what the village can do. Ben called it a psychic nest. What wild boy, you know him. I thought I was making friends, at least with his sister. Should have known friends always let you down. Turns out they both knew no children could be born in Century Falls. And they never told me. Oh, Tess, you're talking as though the story were true. Okay, well, that was episode three of Century Falls. Again, quite a lot happening in that yeah, episode. Yeah, it was. That was. Tess goes to the Hartner sisters to try and find out what she was saying saying to her mum. And they tell her about the, the fact that no children have been born since whatever happened in July 1953. At the same time, Ben has an argument with his uncle after finding the golden face mask and runs off to the, um, to the waterfall. The uncle stops Casey from following him and she goes back into the house. Later on, finds Julia, the maid, listening at a door for a conversation between uh, Naismith and the butler about the mask and how Ben stole it. And the two of them then go to take the mask to somebody and you can only see an incredibly old and what looked like burned scarred hand reaching out for the mask. Casey and Julia kind of bond a bit and then Naismith and the bottle come down and Julia says that everything that's happening is as a result of her plan. At the mean, uh, at the same time, May Harkness has taken Tess to the waterfall to try and explain what's going on, um, and says that all the memories of everything that's happened in Century Falls are stored in the waterfall, and that Tess is a sensitive and can look in, and that you see people in there. Uh, and then May refuses to answer what happened uh, to the temple. Ben turns up and insists, and the three of them link hands. And again, they see the destruction of the, the temple and on the stage in the temple, the woman in the mask that Ben had seen in the, the fires at the front of the waterfall in the last episode. And May Harkness calls her Century. Back at the manor house, Julia is saying that Century will live again because of her planning. Tess goes to her mum and tries to persuade her to, to leave the village. And her mum basically says, you're a lonely kid with no friends. Who- a lonely fat kid with no friends. Yes. Yeah. Who, who makes things who makes things up as uh, as a form of entertainment? So a lot happening in that mm. episode. Again, it seems quite slow paced, and everything just ticks along. But there's a, there's a lot going on in every scene. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, as you say, you just described the entire plot in about a minute there. But that's twenty five minutes that have rattled by quite quickly and interestingly. It's really picked up all pretense that. Uh, I would have expected that they'd sort of pretended that they, the gathering was uh, nothing more than villagers getting together for a, a meeting or something, and straight away it's denied, and the entire truth just floods out. And Mary Wimbush plays that beautifully. Hmm. She's carrying the episode, really. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the adult performances are excellent. I have to say, I think Julia's a bit flat. Mm. But it might be that that's what the character is, because uh, th- this is the first episode where she really starts coming into her own. Mm. The butler doesn't really do very much, but kind of seems to be front and centre. Yeah. 
It's, I, I love the whole feel of it. I mean, it, it has a very Doctor Who-ish feel to it, doesn't it? Well, Which isn't a big surprise considering who's the the brains behind it. Not massively, but just looking at it, this is the sort of thing... I, I can't believe I missed this when it was first on. I would have been the exact age that I'd have watched stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of thing that would have benefited from being on every day, each a new part a day. and Because waiting a week between episodes, it's... How 20th century. How 20th century. Now you do it quite differently. Well, now you sit here with Jane and blast through the whole lot in one evening. In one evening. But I'm really enjoying this now. The, yes. It, it, it's, it's ramped a lo- up a lot in this episode. It's a long while since I've seen it. When we, when we, I was going to say when we first started doing the podcast, but actually when we first started doing the Telefantasy Weekend all mm. those years ago, it's one that I, it, like the Nightmare Man, I've had on the list to, to watch. And the reason, the reason we haven't is that we've tended to do sort of episodes for longer running series so that you can get a, a few things in all at once but I, i'm really enjoying the fact that we're we're going through the whole of this oh yeah you couldn't have done a bit of this it's a self-contained story so mm. but yeah it's very much a doctor who an old uh, classic doctor who which doctor would you have put into this Do you know that's a good question um i can see pertwee i was going to say pertwee baker tea or well, I mean, Troughton would be superlative in anything, so that, that's a given. <clears throat> given the era this was made, I could easily see McCoy being in this. Easily. But I think it would have suited one of the 70s doctors. Or, or Hartnell. Hartnell would deal with those old, old dears wonderfully. Pertwee might be a bit bombastic. But actually, he tries that with May Hartness. He'll get, a, get, mm. exactly, he'll get told exactly about himself. Troughton would just go in and charm everybody. and So would Tom Baker. Hartnell would fit right in. I can't see any of the modern Doctors fitting into this. Oh, I don't know, you know. I can't see Eccleston fitting this one little bit, but uh, Tennant, Smith and Capaldi, yes. No, all a bit too youth. Even Capaldi. Mm, yes. Um, whereas this is this needs an older Doctor, which is why I'm saying Pertwee or Hartnell. Mm, gosh, well, interesting uh, idea, slotting old Doctors into programmes like this. Well, if we're going down that route... Which companion would you put in alongside the the main protagonist of the kids? Well, you'd have to have Susan then, wouldn't you? No, it doesn't have to slot up Doctor Doctor for companion. It's a fantasy team. The one that I, I actually thought would set, in, uh, set into this is actually Ace. I can see that the one I would put in is Susan mm. because she's the telepath, and the, and this is all about telepathy. So I, I think she would she would fit in well if we could tone down the screaming a touch. Well, yeah, there's lots of outdoor stuff, so she'd be... Terrified. Twist- no, twisting her ankle every three seconds. There's not really anybody to lech after as much as she leched after the fifth doctor. Oh, dear. I'm just wondering what uh, Adam Richards going to make of that when he finally does his digest with Meadow Feelings quietly on his Twitter feed. <laughs> should we press on with episode four? I think we should. And your grandfather, Dr. Josiah Naismith. He died. I pulled him from the fire and kept him here. His inspiration lives on, Ben. He's a mindless wreck. My fight's with you. Face me, Ben Naismith. Face me. Julia. It's just a name as good as any. I'm the liar, Ben. Your uncle did as he was told. What's happening here? You'd never have listened to me. I had to force you into your own discoveries. Right. So I think a little bit less plot in that episode, mm. wasn't there? There was a lot of running around convincing people. About things that happened in the past. Yeah. So 
Mrs. Hunter is refusing to believe what's going on, so oh, I'm getting confused whether it's Esme or May. May is the lesbian in the gridlock. Esme is Mary Wimbush. Right, okay. So it is May that takes Mrs. Hunter to the site of a bonfire, um, and she says that this is the saddest place of all, and that ten years after the events in the... Temple. In the, in the temple... They collected all the children's things and burnt them, recognizing there were going to, weren't going to be any more children in the in the village. Find out that there were a number of children who were in the village after the events of 1953, and many people people left the village, and a number of the village children were put up for adoption. They say that there there were the scattered children, and it turns out that I think Mrs. Hunter is one of them. So she and Tess are part of the the whole village setup, which is why. Tess is able to be sensitive and see things in the visions. Tess and Esme and Mrs. Harkness link hands and see that the person inside the sentry costume at the time of the the ceremony was Mrs. Harkness, and that's what wrecked her mind, and that the person whose idea the creation of sentry was was um, Naismith's father, Played by Robert James. Lester's Lester's himself. himself. And that he died in the fire. Also, everybody believed. It turns out that he's actually still alive. He was the person behind the burnt hand who was uh, in the being looked after by Naismith and the butler. Miss Cooper, who's the old school teacher, goes up to the, um, the manor house, is confronted by Julia, who says... I can let you have the things that you miss back. I can let children come back to the village and uh, you can be a school teacher again if you agree to be my eyes and ears in the, in the village. And so she agrees to that. Kerry and Ben have gone back to the manor house, are confronted um, with the two Naismiths, so their uncle and their grandfather, the butler and Julia. And Julia says that she it has been planning this. She's uh, told Naismith what to do. And that she's planning the recreation of Century. Century was planned as the personification of all the villagers' power, uh, of all their psychic power. And that every year they had had a, a ceremony where they got together and basically to, they're skating around it. But mm. it, it sounds though like it's a sort of paganism thing. Yes, and they, yeah. they, were, they were talking about uh, fear of the outside, fear of the witch hunts, fear of the persecution of science. At the end of the episode, Julia takes Ben to the the waterfall and says, I want want you to use your power again, but under her direction. And you see the the fire spread across the the waterfall and turn from fire colour, orangey fire colour to blue. Mm. So it's crackling on for all. There wasn't a, um, I just said there wasn't a massive amount of plot. There's quite a lot going on. There now. is, yeah. It's, the actual story hasn't progressed, but the backstory has been filmed in a lot. I've got to say, some of the effects in this are very good. Mm. For 93, they're a lot better than I would have expected. In fact, I've spent a lot of the time wondering how they've done it with uh, 93 technology. The faces under the water, which I think might have been the last episode, actually. Yeah, but, but I was I couldn't work out how they'd done it without. Now it'd all be CG, but yeah, very it's very well done. I mean the uh, the fire changing colours presumably can't tell. Um, you can do that with um, it's it's not that difficult uh, a thing to do with. Mm without Quantel, but it's ramped up an awful long way in just four episodes. Yeah. And we we found we found that with the, a number of things. So um Quatermass in the Pit, we said exactly the same mm. thing. There's a huge amount happens in each episode. 
And it, they feel a lot longer than half an hour. These yeah. episodes feel a lot longer than half an hour, but mm. not because they drag, because there's so much in them. I haven't seen this in years. I'm really enjoying it. Well, the fact that we're both new to watching it, that's always a sign. We'll move on. Episode five. Can't believe it's only episode five. It's, it feel, that felt like um, that a felt like a, Yes, it did. The subconscious mind of Century Falls. Awake at last. Now we shall create Century anew. Being you, I suppose. Then you'll burn. There's not a mind living able to contain such energy. Which is why Century won't take shape in me, but in Mrs. Hunter's unborn child. In episode five, we left it with Ben starting to conjure the power of the um, the waterfall under the guidance of Julia. Carrie takes him by the hand and st- dampens his power, stop this, stops this from happening. And Esme Harkness, was it? Yes. Helps them escape in uh, the Squire's Land Rover alongside Tess. And they go and hide out at a barn that nobody's been to for, for ages. They're there with May, who has hidden a, a lot of um, kids' stuff there that didn't get burnt in the bonfire. And she explained that she used to be much more strong and forthright, but that um, she lost that when she lost her child after the after the ceremony. Ben is unconscious and has started bleeding from his nose. And we find out that the children that have very strong powers and connections like he has they call wild ones and they tend to burn out with their power before they hit about, basically before they hit teenage and that he's survived longer than most. Esme gets the villagers to try and work out who Julia is and they realise that she's a construct from their subconscious longings and desires and she persuades the villagers to go and kick her out of the village. They go around to the, the manor house and see that the elder Dr. Naismith is still alive. And because of their deference to him, they don't turn on Julia. May, in the meantime, has been in mental contact with Julia. And Julia says that she can save Ben's life. So May brings Carrie and Ben back to the manor house. Tess goes off to try and persuade her mother to leave. At the manor house, Julia is saying that she can save everybody. And as Tess goes to talk to her mother and persuade her to leave the village, her mother is looking very happy and is just saying that this is perfect. This is the way things should be. There's no need to leave the village. And that's the end of the episode. It's crying out for the Doctor Who sting at the end to lead you into the credits. That's a proper penultimate Mm. episode building up to a climax. It's it's really, really well written. I mean, that shouldn't be a surprise, bearing in mind who it, wrote it. it. Uh, and it's a real hark back to the classic days of children's fantasy adventure serials, Children of the Stones, and all of that kind of thing. I, I couldn't really say. I don't watch a lot of children's television nowadays, strangely, but... We watch quite a lot of it when we get together, but, but not modern stuff. No, I mean, stuff. modern stuff. Um, so I don't know whether they do stuff like this at all. Whenever I've caught there's, anything, it all seems a bit whimsical. There's been a few things. The, uh, the Fades was brilliant. Yeah, but that wasn't for kids. Yeah. They're effing and blinding all over the place. It can't be. In the Fades? I'm sure they were. That, that was marketed for, well, sort of, yeah, this sort of, this sort of age group. Um, well, sort, sort of, of young, young teen sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Oh, maybe I need to give it another go then. Oh, the, the fates. We need to do the fates at some point. Because mm, I only managed to make it through the first episode and I wasn't blown away by the acting. But and that, that, have you seen what we're watching? It, it has improved, though. They're, they're ripening the uh, young actors and actresses in this. You think? Marginally. Better than episode one. I'm, I'm not convinced. <laughs> I think we're just getting immune to it. Uh, possibly. 
Oh, splishy splashy. A little splishy splashy. Well, would seem reasonable. Yes, yes. Um, we'll Maybe do it. Do summon it. the spirit. It's her fault. She'd have damned us all. Drive her out. Stop. The waterfall's no place for violence. Show respect for an old woman, Richard. Stand back. This must end. It is ending. We can choose our own future now. But this wretched woman, did she ever have a choice? No. She's just a victim. See, when we decreed the village must die, the consciousness reached out for a protector, and it found a child called Julia. And it took whatever life she might have had and discarded it. It made her nothing. We made her nothing. A hollow woman with no soul of her own inside. Forgive us. I am lost. Was always lost. Right, so that was the sixth and final part of Century Falls. It starts off with Tess's mum looking a bit sort of trance-like and mm. walking out of her house saying how beautiful the, the village is. Julia says that everybody needs to go to the temple to recreate the, the ceremony from 1953 and to bring Century back to them. They have all the original people that were involved in the ceremony. So they have Miss Cooper, the school teacher, who was the one who... Um, Dressed up a Century to start. No, she didn't. That, that was... Oh, Mrs. Uh, Miss Hartman. Miss Hartman. Yeah, um, yeah. Cooper was the one who sang to start off the ceremony. That was it, yes. There was um, Josiah Naismith, who was leading the cer- ceremony, and in place of Miss Harkness, wearing the mask of Century, um, they've got Mrs. Hunter, and the plan is for Century to become... Or, or for the child that she's carrying to become Century and fuse with her to become one single entity. Tess isn't able to stop her going. Julia realises that the reason Esme isn't under her control is because her mother, who's a very powerful psychic, is the one who is protecting her, but isn't able to protect both of her daughters. So May gets gets dragged along with the whole of the rest of the village. Ben and Carrie are taken along with uh, Ben's power being used to uh, to fuel the the ceremony. And the, the ceremony starts with Mrs Hunter putting on the mask and the villagers channeling their power to to recreate what had happened 40 years previously. Tess meets up with Esme, who has, in the meantime, knocked out Naismith, who came uh, to that house to get rid of Mrs Harkness. And Tess goes back to her own house, sits in the, the room that's going to be the baby's nursery, and conjures up an image of it, and conjures up an image of the the sister that she was going to have, that they were going to call Hannah. And that the image of that child is sent to the um, the temple where they're having the ceremony, puts her hands either side of Ben's head, and so disrupts his power going into the ceremony. The ceremony stops, and the fire comes back. It was Julia who had the mask, rather than Mrs Hunter. Uh, everybody manages to escape, apart from Josiah Naismith, who is killed in the fire. Mrs Hunter takes the the sentry mask off of Julia and smashes it. And the the villagers realise that they can have their life again. The curse that they've had for the last 40 years has been broken. And they can look forward to their future. Julia runs away into the woods and all the um, villagers follow after her. 
Esme is about to go and say that um, she is the darkness in their souls and needs to be got rid of before... Cleansed! Before, yeah, before they, the village can be cleansed and start anew. Um, and Tess is saying, well, do you, do you really want to start this whole new village with a murder? They realise that that's not the right thing to do. Uh, and they, they get into the, uh, the Land Rover. They go and collect Mrs Harkness, who comes in and meets them all at the, the falls. And so everybody is at the base of the falls. Julia appears at the top of the falls, and the, the villagers saying we have, led by Naismith, are saying we have to kill her to, to start anew. And Esme is saying we don't have to kill her; we should pity her because she, as a baby, was taken over by the uh, the entity that they created, and that it took whatever life she had, and she has no life of her own, um, and that they they should be pitying her and they shouldn't kill her. And um, Julia is saying yes, I had no choice about this gets to the edge of the cliff and dives off into the pool at the base of the falls. Never seen again. And there's a final postscript with Tess saying that the village start, started up again. Um, ben and Carrie come back every so often uh, that she comes back to visit her sister every day uh, on the anniversary of that day, day at the falls. And there's a final shot of Tess with her sister, so with a... With a a very young Hannah having a little picnic by the fall. Yes. What did you think? I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah it was a really good ending. It wasn't... Um, I said earlier in, in the podcast that don't treat children as if... or children's programmes as, as if it's some sort of poor second cousin that you have to uh, insult the audience or assume that they aren't intelligent enough to work out. There were a lot of plot strands drawn together. There were a lot of quite complicated yeah. ideas which all wove together. But they weren't, although they were explained, they weren't over-explained. Yeah. It didn't treat the audience like, like idiots. You mm. had to watch what was going on. You had to fill in the pieces. It was an old-fashioned piece of television in, the, in that regard because television these days tends to be very spoon-fed. Yes. And I, I suppose it's designed for people who've got half an eye on the telly and half an eye on their phone. And it, it's a more old-fashioned sort of storytelling. I, I really in, enjoyed mm. it. It wasn't as, as creepy and occult as I remember, because I think if I'd seen this recently, I wouldn't have suggested it as a Halloween episode. Oh, I don't know. It's That would be perfect viewing on a really cold, crisp, late October afternoon, slightly overcast. But it, it's a very summery story. It really isn't. The breath's misting all over the place. It's always permanently dull. The weather's never sunny. It's anyway. supposed to be July. True. I've not actually clocked that until now. It is supposed to be July, and they're all wearing overcoats, cardigans, big thick. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose if it's July North Wales somewhere, then it can still be a bit parky. It was filmed in Yorkshire. So the one thing that is, I won't say different about this, but that has hit me right from the start, there is incidental music pretty much constantly. There wasn't at the beginning of uh, the first episode. No. It was very noticeable. But it's noticeable now because, and, and from quite an early point, I think from sort of episode two onwards, really, it's more or less constant. That's a lot of... I mean, it's not particularly composed music. It's more atmospheric, yeah. but it's it's still there. And it's very sort of chanty ceremonial, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. A lot of sort of breathy, almost Celtic vocals. But I'm not sure 
that it would have had quite the weight if that wasn't there in the background yeah. going on. Again, coming back to sound, we've been talking about this earlier today. Sound can make or break a television program. Yeah, and maybe I just didn't twig it, but there didn't seem to be the obvious jump between film and video. Oh, that's because there wasn't. None of that was mm. done on film. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that did jar was, which they seem to have sorted out by sort of episode five, for fairly obvious reasons, most of the stuff that was shot at the waterfall in earlier episodes was very obviously dubbed and not terribly well. Hmm. Particularly one bit where Carrie's running through the forest to the waterfall. Her footsteps don't correspond very well with her actual <laughs> steps. <laughs> minor, very minor niggle. Yeah. yeah, and criticism of this, it's fairly minor criticism. There, there, there's some poor acting particularly for the, from the teenage leads. It's yeah. a superb story. Mm. It's a very engaging story. Keeps your attention right the way through. It, mm. It's like Quatermass in the Pit in that they, there's a lot of plop crammed into each half hour. Yeah, a lot of it could have been done in, in less time, but would it have been as entertaining? Probably not. You need to look at some of the, uh, the more modern Doctor Who's for that. They've, they cram everything in so that there's not an ounce of fat on it into 45, 50 minutes, when really, if you'd have allowed that story to breathe mm. a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, the, the old four-part story format or a six-part story format for Doctor Who, worked brilliantly. Yeah, I think so. You look at pretty much any story from the classic era that's four parts long, I can't think of many that are this slow, uh, or that the Galaxy 4, but you're talking 1960s there. Yeah, Space Museum. But I, I can't think of any that are an outright slog to get through. Twin Dilemma. But that's not because it's slow, that's because it's crap. But but again, I think there's, a, there's several levels at play on with something like that. That's um, Twin Dilemma is just... Yeah, it's the difference between this is a rubbish story and actually this is quite a good story if you just chopped an episode out of it and tightened it up. Mm. Um, and that that's the Space Museum. Space yeah. Museum would be quite a good story if it wasn't as flabby as it was. Yeah. Twin Dilemma, no matter how much you trim that wick, is always going to be a rubbish story. It could have done with some... Better script editing, shall we say. Because, yeah, sure, I'd like to do Twin Dilemma at some point. I'm hoping the randomizer throws it up. Because if you strip all that back, some of the ideas behind it are pretty good, but they just had no money to do it. They had a, you know, I seem to remember a, a crash spaceship scene where everything's on fire and they landed the TARDIS in the middle of it. It's basically just a, a heath with a few tufts of grass set on fire. If that was done now, it would probably look spectacular. Yes, and but there there have been other story stories over the over the years of classic Doctor Who that were obviously done very very cheaply. Mm. Underworld, for example. Oh my! And actually, if Underworld had a budget and was chopped down to three episodes, it would probably be quite good. Yeah. But it didn't, and it wasn't, and it isn't. But Century Falls, I don't know how much money they spent on this. Probably not all that much. Mm. There aren't that much in the way of special effects. There's a temple that they've clearly built. There's some good effects that are heavily reused, but not in a, in a dull, repetitive way. Overall, I'm very impressed with that. I think that would make good uh, October afternoon watching that. So on that note, boys and girls, it's time to sign off. I would say enjoy trick-or-treating, but it's very unlikely this year. 2020 is uh, not the year to be knocking door to door. No, although you could do it in one of those um, Plague Doctor's outfits. One of the radiation suits from Chernobyl. I'd be quite terrified if that turned up on my door. Have my money. So yeah, stay safe, boys and girls. We should be back soon with another episode. Bye now. 
The Exton Moss experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The program was recorded in Trentham, Stoke-on-Trent, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.